0: Lord, we want to just come before you. We are so grateful for who you are. And Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are asking today for revelation and wisdom that we might know you. Lord, renew our minds that we can have a true concept of who you really are and who you want to be for us. Well, I want everyone here to know that I did not get one moment One peep of sleep last night. So I am really dragging. And I will tell you, there was a party in the hood. (laughs) Seriously. It was, and Bruce, you know, I was peeking out the window to sort of scoop it out in the middle of the night. Bruce said, turn out the lights, they can see in. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. So I would periodically go and take my peeps And uh, it was wild, and the backyard was beautiful, big swimming pool, palm trees, and these kids, the parents were gone, and look out, they were having a good old time. So at 4.30 in the morning, I tiptoed downstairs, and I called 911. Yeah, I'm one of those. (laughs) I'm one of those. And the lady on 911 said, you only call us if someone's dying or it's an emergency. You need to call a non-emergency number. And in my mind, I'm thinking, well, how in the world do you get a non-emergency number? It's 4.30 in the morning, and I have not slept yet. And then the weird thing is, they know you. You're at this and this address. And I'm like, yes, but please do not tell these kids when the officer goes over there that it's me, the neighbor. And there has been times that I've actually opened my window and said, could you please be quiet? And it's always Saturday nights before church on Sunday. And Bruce goes, you're yelling at those kids, and then they're going to see you driving off to church. So I, um, I, I, I did my call and um, waited and waited and waited some more. And then all of a sudden, it was still. And I will say it was not the Gessick family, Okay. <laughs> I want you, that's my clause, and I want you to know that and understand that because the guests are wonderful leaders in our church, and they live in our backyard, okay? And did you hear the party? Where's Bruce? You heard the party, and were you grateful at 4.30 that they stopped? Thank you. Well. That's great. Oh, yeah. It, it. Thank you, Bruce. Maybe we need to get on over there and do some work. Okay, so anyway, but it was interesting because through that whole experience, I was so reminded of my childhood. And I grew up with a single parent, a very permissive lifestyle and parent, and my mom had our house hooked up. It was the happening place. We had a beautiful pool. We had redwood trees. We had the ping pong. We had the horseshoes. We had the volleyball court. I mean, we had it made. And not only did we have this awesome house on Stevens Creek Boulevard in San Jose, 389 South Henry. Not only did we have this awesome house, but it was an open house. And I mean kids could come in day and night and party up a storm. There were times in the morning I would wake up and think, "Oh lord, please do not let me find a body in that pool." So, I have an understanding of that kind of partying and that lifestyle. But I I saw something about this, and it sort of ties into the message. My mom is a single parent, and I don't know if it was overcompensating for the divorce and the incredible pain I went through and my brothers with divorce that she compensated. But my mom absolutely did not want us kids to ever experience any kind of pain or suffering. And it absolutely crippled us. And so I'm just speaking to some people out there. Uh, it is so easy to overprotect our kids or be overly permissive when they need to learn their lessons and they need to learn them well. I'd also say, what is that? Rolling across the floor. Okay. Um, I also, you know, I think it's also really important as Christians that when we give people the gospel, I'm going to, I'm ADD, so I'm going to be really, I'm going to notice a lot over there if there's activity. Um, I think it's really important when we share the gospel with people that we really give people the whole gospel. The gospel is awesome, and Jesus Christ, oh, man, he, when he comes in, there is a peace that passes understanding. There is a forgiveness. There is a security that you come into. There is a joy unspeakable and full of glory. There is complete benefits when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. But... And this is what we forget to let people know and have a real understanding about. But it is a life that will require times of surrender, times of sacrifice, and yes, times of suffering. And you know, I think if we had an understanding of that at the get-go, and I know Kevin can amen to this because this is so Kirk Cameron, you know, amen, Um. If we really, really presented the whole gospel, then people wouldn't be surprised when, as Christians, bad things happen to good people. And so the message today is going to go in some different directions, but it's going to be sort of based on a character that absolutely struggled with the cross and struggled with suffering and where God ended up taking him in his journey in the gospels. You know... um, in January, we went to an MFI conference, and MFI is our, our, our leaders conference that we go to. We go to two times a year, and at that conference, God gave me a, a pictural vision, and it was three visions in one, and so I'm going to share those visions. The first two were positive, and the last one was not, and I'm going to be talking about the last one, sorry. Um, so anyway, this picture was, the first picture was a picture of the Bible open, And the word of God, all the little characters of letters, they were propped up and they were doing a little dance. It was like a Toy Story movie. I mean, it was in living color. And I'm like, oh, my, what an incredible picture. But it was the word of God. And what the Lord was saying through that picture is, I am going to bring new revelation to my pastors and to people who are are feeding the feeders. I'm going to bring a real revelation to them, and the Word of God is going to begin to come alive again in their lives in a new way. And I can say that's absolutely happened for me. Uh, The second picture, which was positive too, it was a a man plowing in a field, and he was plowing, and I mean, the soil was so tough, it was almost like plowing cement. That's how hard the, the soil was. And then all of a sudden, there was a shift and a transition and it was like plowing in mud. That's how tenderized the soil was. And that just had to do about a, a change in a season of where there's going to be a real fruitfulness for people in that are really um, sowing that seed to other people, that there was going to be a shift in that way. I don't know if that shift is coming because of some of the tragedies going on. Again, how God uses suffering. Isn't that interesting? So the third picture was a picture of a marred, cracked clay vessel. And this vessel, which represented churches and individuals, was not met for the, the master's use, let's say, and it actually had to be reduced to dust. And when it was reduced to dust, the the potter, the master potter, lifted the dust, took the dust and water. I don't know about, you know, that kind of stuff, but he put that on the wheel. And he began to fashion and make and reform the vessel, that the vessel would be able to contain and be able to overflow and pour out to others, and that it would not be cracked and marred any longer. And that's what I want to talk about a little bit today. God wants to use us. And some of our vessels are a little messed up, and they're pretty cracked up cracked up. And so um, he wants to sort of reduce us, and that's sometimes when we're getting stripped and we're going, what in the world's really going on here? Uh, To build us back up and to create this vessel where, you know, his treasure, it says, is in jars of clay. So he wants to create this vessel that has such a capacity to contain him, contain the presence of God, And that can be used to pour out into other people. And every one of us can be used by God. I can remember about 15 years ago, I was talking to this girl, and I said, I thought I was encouraging her. I really did. I said, God really wants to use you. And she said, you're making me angry. And I thought, that's weird. Because I'm thinking I'm encouraging her. I'm saying, God really wants to use you. She said, if God wants to use me, I don't want anything to do with him. And I'm like, she was very offended. And I said, well, why why is that? And she said, just the word use for me, if someone using me represents complete abuse, completely being taken advantage of. And I thought, what a sad picture that people sometimes have that in their hearts and that they they would even be resistant to the word to be used by God because nothing could be more fulfilling than to be used by God. Absolutely. So he's the potter where the clay, if we could stay still on that wheel, if we could let him do what he wants to do, oh my, what an incredible thing that would be. But we don't do that all the time. We jump off that wheel, huh? So today we're going to get a chance. We're going to jump back on. We're getting on that wheel. Um, so the title of my message is Have you gone to the garden? And so um, I'm not talking about the first garden. I'm talking about the garden Jesus went to because Jesus had to go to the garden before he went to the cross. And sometimes Christians are trying to go to the cross before they go to the garden. And so I'm going to explain that a little bit to you. Um, First, Jesus, when he went to the garden, he had to submit his will, meaning... Uh, He had to be completely honest before the Father. He had to get very, very real with God and that is what going to the garden is. That's where we start. It's with the ugly stuff. Even Jesus being God said, you know what? I really don't want to do this. He presented. He did not hold back. He completely submitted everything that was within him in the garden. Second, he had to surrender his will. So first of all, You're getting honest with God. Second of all, you're surrendering your will to God. But not my will, your will be done. Then he had the grace to sacrifice not only his will, but his life. God wants to meet us in a garden. It is where it all started, it's where God pursues us. It is where we had our little fig leafs on and he came, tiptoeing through the garden saying, Where are you? And so, again, he takes you to the garden in, with Jesus. We, we start in the garden, and then before the cross, we go back to the garden. And he says, where are you? Because he wants you. He wants all of us. So we get alone with God. Isn't it interesting that nobody can go with you into the garden? I mean, Jesus tried to take two of his friends, and they fell asleep. And so when you're going to the garden, you're going alone. You can't even take your spouse with you. It's you and God. You get alone, you bow your heart, you get honest with God, your hurt, your disappointments, your anger, your resistance. And then you surrender, but not my will, your will be done. And then you're ready to sacrifice. You know, I think it was Joyce Myers who always sort of laughs at this song how we all love to sing, I surrender all. You know, wave our hankies. Huh? I surrender all. And we really hardly surrender anything. And But, you know, we love to just belt those songs out. And we really do lack the kind of surrender that God is really desiring and wanting of us. Too often with God, we're trying to make sacrifices without being honest, without letting go. And we become bitter and angry and we walk away from God because we're trying to sacrifice before we've submitted. It's almost like trying to resist the devil before you submitted to God. Okay? Have any of you ever done that? Where you keep rebuking the devil and you're so not submitted to God? And he's saying, will you just submit to me? And then we, let's rebuke the, the devil together. And he will go. Um, this week, this is the second time in church that I've ever read my personal journal. So I'm going to give you a piece. And I'm going to take you to the garden with me because I have been sacrificed. I have been suffering. And so I have been suffering, and I will be honest with you. I have had and I'm overcoming a deep codependency issue with my daughter. And I won't say who that is. (laughs) Amy. So anyway, um, she's in San Diego. I'm in Hollister. We were talking a number of times a day and texting. And if she went out anywhere, I needed her to tell me I wouldn't go to sleep until I knew she was home safely in her apartment. And that could be late in the evening after she's with her church friends. There is a lot of fear in my life connected to loss. And I really did not know how to let go of my daughter. I literally felt like she would die. If I wasn't there... If I wasn't involved with her every single day and talking to her, she would die. And it felt as real as anyone who has trauma in their life understands that feeling. I have not talked to my daughter probably in one month. Cold turkey. And I'm telling you, there are nights I did not sleep. There was nights that I just confessed over and over, Jesus is Lord over Amy. Jesus is Lord over Amy. Jesus is Lord over Amy. And I felt so lost. And so I went to the garden this week because I was my addiction. I wanted, it was night. It's nighttime when my addictions hit. I wanted to pick up that phone. I wanted to call her. And she knows God's doing this thing. We're both in agreement with it. You know, it's not like i am abandoned her. She knows. We're, we're in this thing together. And so I'm going to read a little out of my journal because I went to the garden, and it was an awesome experience for me. The Lord woke me at 4.30 a.m. I had this awareness that I was losing Amy. It would never be the same something had broken, codependency, our deep habits, the worry, the control, but I felt pain, fear, sadness, and I felt angry. It was so real. I had lost my daughter, my only daughter. Well, not not anymore. (laughs) I'll try not to be overwhelming. (laughs) No. I had lost my daughter. And then the thought came to me, and I just want you to just grab this. Give her to me, entrust her to me. What you give to me can't be lost. What you give to me can't be lost. It was such an awareness of this holy transition between me and God that the tears just could not, wouldn't stop. And the presence and the grace of God enveloped me. And I don't even know how long I stayed in that place. But I know that I know who has Amy. And it's not me anymore. And I hope I don't take her back. I hope I don't relapse. But it is the holy of holies, I entrusted her to God, and that's where I want to keep her, and she is not lost because I'm not in control. And so, may that be a word to somebody here. Okay, that's a piece of my journal. That's a, there's a lot of stuff in here. I hope <laughs> I don't want anyone to read it until I'm dying and gone. So God wants to meet us in the garden. I want to read a little poem, and I almost know it by heart because when I saw it at Berean's bookstore in San Jose, probably 20 years ago, it spoke to my heart then because I've always had such a problem with letting go. It's hard to let go, huh? It's hard to trust. Broken dreams. As children bring their broken toys with tears for us to mend, I brought my broken dreams to God because he was my friend. But then instead of leaving him in peace to work alone, I hung around and tried to help with ways that were my own. At last I snatched them back and cried, how can you be so slow? My child, he said, what could I do? You never did let go. I just feel that that's just a piece of everyone's story in this room. We think we give something to God, and we are so micromanaging him. I mean, I'm a micromanager. And we really haven't given it to him. We really haven't completely let go. And then we're frustrated and angry with him because it's not changing, and he's saying, you didn't, it's not all the way relinquished. I didn't get it all the way. You know, I so enjoy the life of Peter. You know, he was strong. He was independent. And he also had such an aversion to the cross and to suffering. He was a fisherman, and he, when Jesus called him, he came to the call. He responded to the call very, very well, but he did not respond to the cross. And there are Christians today, they're responding to the call. They are not responding to the cross. And so when Jesus asked him, who do people say I am, Pete? You know, he said, oh, maybe Elijah, la, 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 la. You know, so he had his thoughts of who, you know, people thought Jesus was. And then he said, Pete, who do you say that I am? And he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven. So that was a personal revelation that Peter got immediately in the same chapter The same chapter, Jesus pulls Peter aside and begins to tell him about how he is going to suffer and that how he's going to die on a cross. And he begins to explain everything that's going to happen to him. And Peter pulls Jesus aside and rebukes Jesus. This will never happen to you. This is Peter speaking to Jesus this way. And Jesus has to say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You don't have the mind of the things of God, but the things of men. That is two experiences Peter had in the same chapter. He had no concept of the power of the cross. You know, it says that the power of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who believe, look out. Look out if we can embrace that cross. There was a guy, Calvary, Calvary Community in, on Hillsdale. I don't know if any old-timers might remember Pastor Fry years and years ago. When I first got saved, I would go in there, and oh, my goodness, God really hung out there. That was like 30 years ago. There was a guy who would come, and he would preach. They used to have all the heavy hitters come in. And uh, he was Peter Marshall, who was a, um, what was he, a state senate clerk a chaplain? Yeah, yeah, and a chaplain over the the Senate, and his wife was a famous writer, and he died a premature death, and he had one son, and this son, all this son did was preach. He was a historian, but he preached the cross. I could not get enough of him. It was hardcore, and I'd be like, this feeds me. This feeds something in me, and all he did was speak and talk about picking up your cross, dying daily, really about the nuts and bolts of Christianity. And I just was thinking about him today, thinking, I loved that guy. I wonder where he is now. I don't I don't know if you ever heard him, but he was incredible. Huh? Yeah. The light and the glory, I think he wrote. He wrote a so, um so get behind me. You know, Jesus says to Peter because he doesn't understand suffering. So Peter had a revelation of who Jesus was but not why he was. He knew his identity, but he didn't know his purpose. Uh, Peter was so opposed to the cross. You know, it says, Jesus goes to him and says, you're going to deny me three times. Peter denied him more than three times. Because when they went to come get Jesus, he goes and lops the soldier's ear off. I mean, that would be a picture to behold. You know, they're coming to take Jesus for the cross. Again, what, Jesus, what Peter is telling us is there is no way this cross thing is going to be happening. So he cuts the ear of the guy who's coming to get Jesus, and gratefully, Jesus, God himself, is on the scene because he can just pick that ear up, sort of mold it right back on there, and the guy moves on. But again, he tells Peter, you're going about this the wrong way. And so Peter, again, is there's lessons that that are trying to be taught to Peter, but Peter is very opposed, very resistant to the way of the cross. And then you've got the famous verse, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I am praying for you that when you've turned, you're going to strengthen other people. And so that's a very famous verse, and that verse absolutely has to do with some suffering. Um. We know that all suffering is not for Christ, and we've got to be really careful about that. God will use all suffering, but all suffering is not for Christ. I don't know if you read the article. I read an article not long ago, 15 shots killed Shelby Allen. I don't know if you saw that. And this is just a little heads up about binge drinking. It's the story of a girl in Reading who was 17 at a very um, influential home. They call it a safe home where parents let Underage kids drink in the home because they think they're being safer because the kids aren't out on the road. And so the girl's sitting there, and the mom and dad leave them at the open bar, and she's 17, and she commits to to taking 15 shots of vodka in an hour, and they find her dead over a toilet bowl in the morning. That kind of suffering is not for Jesus. But I tell you, Debbie Allen, that mother is a pit bull and she is on the move. And she is determined to bring in laws. In fact, she just got a law passed that if underage children are drinking at your home, that if anything happens to them, you will be held responsible. And binge drinking right now, alcohol po- poisoning, is definitely on the rise. And it's very real. And our kids are dying from it. So young, young ones, <laughs> Stay away from the alcohol and drinking because you can. You can. It's very dangerous. And so, you know, I was thinking about her, and I thought, wow, that lady turned. Again, it's like Chip talks about how you turn a righteous place of anger into action, and you make a difference in the society. And so, you know, she's um, making a big difference. So before Jesus goes to the cross, he tells Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter says, "I will die for you." I mean, Peter. <laughs> there is nothing in him that shows that that's a possibility, you know. So, Jesus is led away, and it says that Peter follows at a distance. Peter warms himself by the fire with unbelievers, and then he says he does not know Jesus. He denies him. So, steps of denial, you guys. There are steps that we take when we begin to backslide and we begin to go into denial with the Lord. First, we begin to follow him at a distance. We stop reading the Bible, stop praying, stop hanging with Christians. We're following at a distance. Then we're actually sitting with sinners, okay? We're comfortable, we got the fire going, we're, we're enjoying ourselves, we're sitting with the sinners. And then we begin to lie to ourselves and we lie to others and we end up in self-deception, and then we think, how did I get a, how did I get here? So, um, you know, Peter's disillusioned. He denied Jesus. Jesus gave him that holy glance to say, you know, I, I, we, we we talked about this a little while ago, and you're you're doing it. You're you're walking it out. And but it wasn't. I don't think it was a glance of condemnation, but I do think it was definitely a glance of conviction. Because Peter, you know, he was different than Judas. Judas went and hung himself. Peter went back to an old foundation. And so he went back to fishing. He went back to his old foundation. He caught no fish. Jesus is dead. Now he's resurrected. And now Jesus is speaking, and he's saying, cast the net to the other side, meaning, If you'll let me into areas of your life, then they will prosper. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And they do that, and they have this big catch. And then John, this is funny to me. This is in the book of John, and here's how John refers to himself, the disciple who Jesus loved. Give me a break. Okay, so does that mean he didn't love Peter and he didn't love all the other disciples? It wasn't like another disciple was saying that about John. John was saying that about himself. This is the disciple that Jesus loved. And so it says the the disciple that Jesus loved saw Jesus and said, there is the Christ or there is Jesus. So John saw Jesus but John didn't act on it. John had the revelation, but who jumped out of the boat? It was Peter. I think Peter was starting to get it. So, this is just a little nugget. A lot of times you might get a big revvy from God. I'm telling you, if you're not acting on those revies, I don't know. I don't know if it means that much. I would prefer to be one who's a doer of the word and not a hearer only. And to me, at that point, yeah, John recognized Jesus. But I tell you, the moment John recognized him, it says Peter was putting on, you know, some some clothes, and he was, Jim, huh? Jim, you're a Peter. Yeah, and it was like he was, he jumped out of that boat. He could not get to shore quick enough. And then it said all the other disciples rowed in. Okay, so then... I think this is sort of cool, too. It says Jesus made a fire for the guys. And so the denial happened when there was a fire. And so Jesus brings restoration by bringing another fire. So he takes Peter and brings him before the fire. So now there's a familiarity for Peter. He's like, oh, wow, I am having flashbacks. Last time I was at a fire. I was denying you. And Jesus takes him aside, and he begins to speak to Peter because he's now he wants to confirm the call. He says to Peter, he wants to bring him from a place of rejection to a place of restoration. Do you love me? And Peter's like, yes, Lord, I love you. And he says, feed my lambs. He's trying to bring them into service. If you love me, you're going to be doing some action. Then he asks again, do you love me, Peter? Care? and then Peter says yes again. And I think he was like, why do you keep asking me? This is hard. You know, this is just a thought right now. It's interesting that Peter denied Jesus three times, and how many times did Jesus ask Peter, do you love me? I just got, I, I feel God. That just came just now. That was a download this moment. Never a thought ever before. Three times Peter denied him. Three times Jesus reaffirms him he says, Do you love me, Peter? Peter says, Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And then the third time. And then he says to him, Care for my sheep. Very, very putting him in a pastoral place. And then he says, do you love me again? And Peter says, yes, I love you. And he said, feed my sheep. When that was done, the very cross and suffering that Peter ran from, Jesus called him back to. And he said, I tell you the truth, when you were young, you went where you wanted, but now you're going to go where you don't want to and another will carry you. And he was telling him that when you were young, you avoided. Um, I would paraphrase it by saying, this is what Jesus said to his beloved Peter. Peter, you responded to my call, but not to my cross. I'm taking you from compromise to commitment, from denying me to dying for me. And Peter, so much like us, turns, finds the disciple that Jesus loved and says, what about him, Jesus? Instead of being able to stay focused on this thing that God was doing with him, he could not handle it, and he was like, I want to know what's going to happen to him. Isn't that so like us? When we're going through something, why isn't that person going through that? Why is that person so blessed? Why, is that, uh, why do they get to do that? Why am I suffering? What about him? And Jesus said, never mind him. You follow me. You follow me. The Peter who hates suffering understands and embraces it. Not only did Peter understand and embrace suffering, and surrender to it. Do you know in all the epistles, there's no one who wrote more about the joys and had a depth of understanding about suffering as Peter? You talk about that verse, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Peter's weakness was the avoidance of the cross and suffering. His greatest strength in his epistles was to tell all of us, to tell all of us, Greatly rejoice, though you now had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These come that your faith can be proven, though refined by fire. One verse. Two. But if you suffer for doing well and you endure it, it's commendable before God. To this you're called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you as an example as you shall follow. Another verse from Pete. It is better for you if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. More. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though some strange thing was happening to you. But rejoice. To the degree that you're sharing in the sufferings of a Christ, you're going to share and enjoy the resurrection power. Jim, I know you could give it. Yeah. Okay, so, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a while, will restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Mind-blowing. You guys, this is that same Peter. That Peter is exhorting the church. Grab a hold of suffering. Rejoice. Know that you're being refined. Know that your faith is being built up. Know that your faith is more precious than gold. Change your mindset about this suffering thing Embrace the cross. Know that there's a resurrection power when you pop through it. It's good. It is all good. It is well with my soul. I mean, the very guy who pinned that, lost everything, was in the greatest suffering you can imagine. It is well with my soul. And we're going to close. I know I'm closing early because I want I want us to go to the garden today. I want to go to the garden. And I told Ben, um, I want to take everyone to the garden. And, you know, we had a great time. We had a whole big prayer ministry meeting last week. There's lots of people. This is a respond message more than an agreement message for people. Okay? And we're going to sort of head over into this direction more. So the cafe, if there's activity, it won't sidetrack anyone. But we're gonna dim the lights. I feel like I'm on the idle. Dim the lights. No. Um, so we're going to we're gonna have. Look at this. We have time abundantly. So anyway, Ben didn't know this song. I come to the garden alone. I will not sing this song to you. Thank you. <laughs> it's tempting. I've been singing lately. It's it's. Um, but it's a great old hymn and it's an invitation to you it's the same invitation that came from andrea come to me all you that are heavy laden and burdened down and i will give you rest it's that invitation that god comes today there are things that you need to come and bring before god you you do i would love you know what I, I would love that. Okay, we're going to do that song once when we when we rise up. When we stand, we're going to do the I Come to the Garden Alone song. Okay? It's an old hymn. And then um, when we're up here, we'll let the worship team. Or should we do the worship team first a few songs and end with I Come to the Garden? Yeah. End, with, end with it? Yeah. We're ending in the garden. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So... Okay, we're going to end with I come to the garden, and uh, it, it's really cool because I'm going to just say the words so you'll hear them. I come to the garden alone, alone, while the dew is still on the roses, and he walks with me and he talks with me, and he tells me that I am his own. So grace is best received through surrender, our work for his work, our will for his will, our life for his life. And so, my question I leave with you today have you gone to the garden? And don't let this opportunity slip by. He's here. He's here.